Our identities are multi-layered, and each of those layers impacts our experiences in this world. Today, we're unpacking some of what that means as we talk to a woman of color who's been around gaming since the day she was born. Welcome to Replay, the show that invites you to join us at the game table. I'm your host, Clara Mount. On Replay, we are building a more inclusive community by creating a space for underrepresented gamers and their allies to share their voice. We'll tell stories about our experiences and provide new perspectives that challenge our community to think a little differently about who we are and what we do. Replay is a Victor Media Group original. You can find episodes of this and all other Victor Media Group shows on our website at victormediagroup.co. And if you like what you're hearing, subscribe and connect with us on your favorite social media platform. Today's guest is Jasmine Betts, who currently works as Associate Manager of Consumer and Market Insights at Wizards of the Coast, y'all. Yes, I'm a little starstruck. In the past, though... In the past, she's also been involved with a ton of different gaming communities, to name just a few. She's been the president of a collegiate gaming club called the Metagamers. She was uh, an analyst for the Robert Morris University's collegiate Smash Bros team. And she's also worked directly with the community over at the Ignite Gaming Lounge over in Chicago. So she has a ton of awesome experiences, and she's working a dream job that allows her to combine two of her favorite things, research and gaming, into one. I'm really excited to share some of her stories with you. Welcome to Replay, Jasmine. Thank you so much, Clara. That's such a good <laughs> intro. <laughs> You're that like, made... I didn't know I sounded so cool. Yeah, I was like, man, I, it's, that made me sound like way cooler than I actually am in real life. <laughs> Thank you. You're welcome. Well, it's uh, my, we're just going to jump right in because I don't yeah. know what sentences are anymore. Um, okay. What is the number one reason that people should care about games? Um, I think it's just such an interesting tool and it's such a, an interesting medium. I think especially now as, as games have kind of become more prevalent and more mainstream, I think people are really seeing it as an art form and it's really fun calling it an art form, like, <laughs> like, like no different than, you know, books or movies yeah. or sh TV shows, um, just as a vehicle for, for storytelling. I'm a big, like single part. I play almost exclusively single person games now. <laughs> I'm like so non-competitive, but I think that that's the crazy thing is that like games, are, are so flexible in what they can be. Cause at a different point in my life, you know, I, I played a lot of competitive games. I was part of like very active, you know, like competitive gaming communities, um, played a lot of Dota, a lot of smash and made a lot of friends that way. Um, and yeah. so it's just interesting to me that it can kind of have this ever changing role in my life. And also like a place where, you know, I bonded with family and bonded with friends as a kid. Um, and I think that that's really why they matter to me. And I think it's a reason why other people should care about games you know it's like at this point it's 2021 if you've never played a video game it's like no different than not reading a book you know like you have to <laughs> yeah. do it at some point right it's just another way of of experiencing a story or connecting with people it's it's just so much bigger than I think anyone really realized it would be yeah yeah for sure definitely when I was a kid I did not think games would be where they are now oh definitely not <laughs> yeah I remember all the time I, I'm sure you heard it too where it was like there's never going to be any money in games how are you going to work in games and it's like well we managed <laughs> uh, we got there somehow <laughs> we did it we managed somehow turns out people really love spending money on games <laughs> so what was your first introduction to gaming 
Oh, wow. That was so my first introduction to gaming, as I mentioned, um, I've come from like, like, I guess you would call it nerd royalty. Um, <laughs> I, I come from a family of gamers, my everyone in my immediate family, including both my parents gamed, um, both my grandfathers also gamed. And so my first oh, wow. gaming experience, I would say was going to my grandparents house and my grandfather uh, had purchased a Nintendo 64 uh, wow. for himself and for me when I would come over. Um, and we played, I would say the first game I played was probably Mario Kart on the N64 at like two or three years old. Um, wow. and yeah, it was like such a bonding thing for me and my grandpa that I think when I was four or five, they bought one for me for Christmas and my mom pitched in, um, Pokemon stadium as my <gasps> first game, which was a great choice. Awesome. Shout out to mom and grandparents for, for very good choices. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. So you said you play now mostly like solo player games. What are, um, what are your favorite kinds of games now and why? Yeah. Um, I've been playing, so I'm a big fan of Xbox game pass and also still steam, but, Mm -hmm. um, Xbox game pass has been really good about adding lots of like first person, um, or not first person, like solo gameplay experiences that are, Mm -hmm. you know, very story based. I've played a lot Mm -hmm. of, so like recently, like Wandersong, Spiritfarer, lots of games that are, are very narrative focused or Mm -hmm. are puzzle focused, um, resource kind of management games in the case of like Spiritfarer, uh, and then just like good old fashioned Animal Crossing to (laughs) scratch my monkey brain. I can like catch bugs and make money that way. That's pretty cool. (laughs) What a life in Animal Crossing. You can oh, catch totally. bugs, you can go fishing, you can pull fruit off trees. I totally in a wish. totally yeah. not labor exploitative way and still make money to pay off your rent and your Totally. <laughs> it's amazing. Totally. I wish I could pay my taxes and weeds. That would be great. Oh man. <laughs> right? <laughs> I would do all the gardening. Oh totally. <laughs> could you tell me about a gaming experience that was significant to you and why? Oh, wow. Um, I I know we talked about this and I like really had to think. And I think that the one that I'm going to call out in particular is, is gaming with my mom. Um, I gamed with my mom extensively as a child because I was uh, chronically uh, friendless or had very few friends. Um, and so my mom was sort of my best friend and I played a lot Aww. of games with her. Um, and there was one in particular that we played together uh, called Champions of Norath, if you're familiar. But um, it was basically like EverQuest's Diablo clone, but for like the PlayStation 2. Um, oh. Yeah, and we played it co-op together. So it was like a big looting kind of like kill an orc sort of like high fantasy game. <laughs> it was super fun. Um, but this was the experience in and of itself was super significant for me of just like getting to play like a, an actual game with like an adult and like really building strong communication skills from a young age because my mom was like I was learning how to do like high rating things with like my mom it's like a seven-year-old and she's like why can't you hit the button fast enough and I'm like I'm seven like I can barely (laughs) hold this controller mom you have to temper your expectations right now yeah but there was one thing about this game um was that it was uh, an early 2000s game that was probably exclusively developed by men. Um, and the oh. women looked accordingly, if you catch my drift. Ah, yes. Um, yes, you know yes. what they look like. <laughs> um, and I asked my mom, because like, they, they're pretty outrageous in this game. Like the, the Boobs are uh, fascinating. The physics are <laughs> fascinating in that game. Um, and I was like real small. I must have been like 
seven, eight, nine years old when, when mm-hmm. I asked her and I was like, mom, why do they look like that? <laughs> you know, <laughs> we were just like sitting in menu and like fixing our like gear. And I was like, mom, why do they look like that? And without removing her eyes from the screen, she just kept scrolling through loot. And she said, because this was made by a man. And then we just moved on. Oh, and that it. like, <laughs> and then it just, I, I feel like that really, I want to give a shout out to her for like really setting like my bar for like sexist bullshit in gaming and like in the floor. Like, I'm just like, I don't have, you know, a tolerance for it at all. <laughs> You're like, I have no patience for this shit. I have I'm not no even going to say more than shit. one sentence about it. It's yeah. done. <laughs> we don't even recognize it. We're just like, this is stupid and move on. And it's like, yeah, thanks mom for, for setting me straight from a young age. <laughs> oh, I love that. Yeah. What uh, now, um, what does gaming mean to you? Like on an emotional <sighs> level. <laughs> let's man, get gay up in here. I'm, this is a peak gay. Um, <laughs> man, I don't know. It's just sort of become this, like the, a foci of like my life. Like the mm-hmm. focus of my life is feels very centered around gaming of like, in, in, in many different forms too, you know, it's, it's mm-hmm. expanded it obviously into like tabletop RPGs and card games and video games. And it's just shaped so much of like who I've associated with and how I've interacted with those people, mm-hmm. um, the kinds of opportunities I've looked for in life, obviously. And it just, I don't know like who I would be really without games. And that's like super, super gay, but like, it's, <laughs> It's just so much of like what I have done and what I plan to do that like I I can't see myself separated from them. There would be like so much of myself lost if like gaming didn't exist as it does today. Like I don't know what kind of person I would be really. I love that. That's relatable (laughs) as fuck. Yeah. (laughs) I got I tried to be as gay as possible in the best possible way. I appreciate you so much for your efforts. Well, Jasmine, (laughs) that was a lot of fun. I really appreciate you sharing all of that and those wonderful stories with us. We're going to take a quick break before we come back and get to the meat of today's episode. Uh, We are going to talk about intersectional identities in gaming, so stay tuned. Hey friends, I hope you've been getting some great stuff out of these episodes. If you like what you've heard so far, please check out our merch shop over at victormediagroup.co. Every purchase supports me personally, so I would love it if you cover your shit in my stickers. Remember, you can nab a replay merch over at victormediagroup.co. And once again, thanks so much for joining us at the game table. Welcome back to Replay. We are here with Jasmine Betts, who is Associate Manager of Consumer and Market Insights at Wizards of the Coast. Uh, And today, our topic is maybe a little complex for some people that may not have heard of it. Um, We're talking about intersectional identities in gaming. So I'm just going to start with a quick baseline um, of what the fuck that is. (laughs) So (laughs) intersectionality is, um, it's a social framework. It talks about how a single, like an individual person's identities, multiple identities, such as your race, your sexuality, gender, religion, social class, um, disabilities, sometimes even just the way you look, all of those things overlap and combine into a really complex map of the ways that you're treated by society um, that you live in. So for instance, I'm female, I'm bisexual, I do have mental disorders. Those all come together and they affect my human experience in this world. And that is what intersectionality is about, is that that intersection between those identities. Um, so Jasmine, 
what identities do you think of for yourself when we're talking about intersectionality? Oh, yeah. Um, I mean, there's a lot of different things that I think combine. And I think a, a, one thing to, to talk about is that I think a lot of people would probably think of lots of individual things for themselves. Mm -hmm. I think that there's, you know, kind of the big ones that people think about. Um, and I think that it, it's still going to be easy for other people to kind of find intersectionality within themselves if they really think about it. And so for me, that means being, you know, a woman of color. Um, in particular, I'm mixed and that has, you know, specific mm -hmm. uh, connotations, especially because I'm like half white, half Asian that has, you know, specific impacts on my life and, and how I'm treated. Um, yeah. I identify as a woman. Um, I'm cis. Um, I am self-diagnosed on the spectrum, but I'm, I'm pretty strong on that one. Pretty sure it's true. Um, I am bisexual. Um, and those are sort of like the, the, the ones that I think of immediately when, when people ask me that question is all of those, those are the, the vegetable soup is kind of that vegetable soup is what I think people are usually looking for. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's a lot, um, just on its own. And, um, so I know you have, uh, experiences in a variety of different kinds of gaming spaces and communities. Um, and a lot of those spaces have varying levels of diversity. So totally. Can you talk about just some of those experiences that you've had as like a female person of color or, um, any of those things that you've noticed? Yeah, totally. I mean, I think that it's, it's, super varied. And I think that this is an interesting topic when you talk about gaming communities, because I think that when we talk about, you know, like gaming is sexist, we're kind of thinking about like the entirety of the gaming spectrum mm -hmm. of all of the individual communities that that entails and, and encompasses. Um, but when you really look at individual groups, there's sort of like different ways that that's going to impact you, different yeah. ways that people might interact with you um, and other, you know, identities kind of that are, are in particular singled out or have mm -hmm. different experiences when they're kind of interacting in those groups. Um, and I think that that's, really easy to look at when I compare in particular, like my experience being um, in kind of like tabletop RPG and board game communities, kind of like the one at UIC versus being part of sort of like the smash community up here in Chicago. Um, mm -hmm. And those experiences, despite the fact that on paper, you know, those being in Champaign in Chicago, they're only two hours away. Um, yeah. They're both in gaming were, were pretty different in, in kind of the things that I experienced and the things that I dealt with. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I would say in like UIC, you know, or U of I, um, it's, it's very white. I don't think that that's <laughs> controversial to say it's a pretty yeah. white area. Um, mm -hmm. and so that, that definitely like specifically being a woman of color in those spaces when there was like, you could count us on one hand, <laughs> you could probably yeah. count us on like three fingers, um, was definitely different. And while I was like, you know, uh, one of the only women, there was honestly far fewer women in the smash scene, um, Mm -hmm. that I saw like per, per like in percentage wise yeah. of, you know, the smash community here in Chicago, I was far from like being the only person of color, honestly. And, you know, yeah. like, especially as a mixed person, um, how people view you in those spaces kind of changes depending on like how many other people of color are honestly there. Like at U of I, I'm definitely considered a pe person of color, but when I'm in a room or a community with a lot of other people of color, it's a little bit more ambiguous in terms of like how you're treated or how people approach you. Um, that's so interesting. Yeah. So I think that that's, it, despite the fact that there are two on paper, very similar sounding communities, like the types of things that I heard and like how I had to approach those spaces were, was a little different. Mm -hmm. What, um, 
I think, so you said the, the U of I space was a lot wider than yeah. the other space that you were talking about. So, um, so maybe let's just start there with being a woman of color. Um, yeah. what, uh, how did it feel to you to interact in that space? Um, it was really interesting, especially when I had first got there. And I mean, like I had, uh, to give you some background, I actually went to ISU for my freshman year and then I had transferred to U of I my sophomore year. So mm. I wasn't like super surprised by how white it was at U of I having <laughs> gone to ISU first. I was yeah. like, that was when like my big shock happened when I got to college, especially since I went to like a, a super diverse high school where oh, it was yeah. like very even distribution or as close to even distribution as you can get from like lots of different ethnic groups and racial groups. Mm -hmm. um, so getting to college and like, especially getting into a gaming group that was mostly white was very new for me um, because my gaming club in high school was like me and like my friends who just like decided to incorporate and become a club. So it was yeah. like, <laughs> it was like, 65 70% like women for the most part yeah. there was a lot more people of color so like well I was a lot more inexperienced as a gamer that was just like not something I had to worry about in like my early experiences with tabletop RPG it was a new thing that I had to kind of navigate and honestly like that space was and a lot of the people that I interacted mm -hmm. with were pretty progressive they were obviously like being more conscientious than I would say yeah. I could expect from other places, especially since this was like a club that was part of a college and yeah. that's obviously going to skew in a certain way. Mm -hmm. um, but it definitely was something that I had to think about and, and it affected kind of the gaming experiences that I had um, mm -hmm. of, uh, we kind of talked about it before of, of a lot of the characters that you interact with in games are also white because, you yeah. know, white people are, are thinking about like, you know, I want to play a character that's kind of like me. People are worried about, you know, being, um, you know, disrespectful of other people's cultures, which is totally valid. But it means yeah. that if you have a very white gaming space, that's going to be mirrored, you know, in the characters that you see in game. Yeah. Did you, um, so like when you were, when you were making characters to play in like your tabletop games and your, um, like the LARP and things like that, what, uh, like what, what was important to you? What kind of considerations were you making when you were making those characters? It's so interesting because that was so long ago now that I, I'm like critical of the decisions that I made in terms of like the characters that I played. Oh, interesting. Um, until my last character, I had only played white characters. And that really? was something that I thought about. And I was like, why did I decide to do that? You know, like, why was that an active decision that I was making? of I'm a person of color, especially in like a space where I'm like unambiguously one of the few people that can mm -hmm. like even try to claim that experience. Yeah. Um, and I could have done that and I didn't. And like, I, I really wanted to think about why. Um, and I think one thing, and I, I mean, for reference of, mm -hmm. of what happened in our LARP was we had that time skip that happened, right? We moved from the 20s to the 90s. Mm -hmm. And I think that the setting was definitely holding people back because they were being, you know, historically accurate to not, you know, whitewash anything that happened during that time in terms of racism. Yeah. But it also dissuades you from playing people of color, you know, is right. that like, as you were already at a disadvantage for playing a, a, a woman you know, character mm -hmm. um, or anybody who is queer or anything like that. If you varied, I mean, they were going to be honest and they, they wouldn't, obviously the STs were like not shitty about it. Um, <laughs> yeah. But like for accuracy's sake, like you have to consider that of like, mm -hmm. what kind of privileges am I owed if like our setting is in the twenties, you know, 
Like yeah. women didn't even get the right to vote until like 10 years after, like, you know, until like 10, 10 years previous, I mean. Mm -hmm. So I, I think that that's one benefit to us moving into the 90s was that a lot more people were willing to to diverge. And that's when I try, decided to, to play like a, 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 a person of color in the game. Um, okay. And yeah, but I was, I, I don't know that I would have made those decisions, even if it meant that I would have had a harder time in the game. I think that I definitely wouldn't have done that because I played very exclusively like white European backgrounds, you know, for the most part. And I, I loved those characters and it was a lot of fun playing them, but I, I'm definitely critical of myself now, like as 26 year old Jasmine at yeah. 19 year old Jasmine for making those decisions. <laughs> so does 26 year old Jasmine <laughs> wish that you would have played women of color in those games? Totally, totally. Yeah. And especially after seeing, I mean, there were a few representations specifically of like women, women of color and people of color that I disagreed with in the LARP. Um, and but at the same time, I felt like, you know, I in hindsight, I couldn't really complain because I didn't offer, you know, like a, a solution. I could have definitely played something oh. that was more respectful and been in a, a position where I could do that. And I didn't, you know, so it's yeah. like it's something that I didn't like, but I also didn't do anything to help that situation, you know, because I could have been that person that mm -hmm. could have brought that and tried to do it properly in the best way that I could. And I didn't, and it didn't even like cross my mind at the time. Yeah. In those spaces where the majority of the gamers are white um, and, and in particular at U of I, like the community was white, right? Like in yeah. general at large. So when you're, when you have a very predominantly white region, you're probably yeah. going to have those like white dominated gaming spaces too. Like that's just kind mm -hmm. of, the fact of how demographics work. Um, so when you have those spaces, how do you make it more welcoming to people that are those diverse identities? Do you yeah. have any ideas on that? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's, that's also another, we're only kind of hitting complicated issues today, Clara. Um, oh, yeah. Perfect. Oh yeah. Only the big <laughs> questions today. Um, I, I think that there's the obvious things of, you know, being considerate, like being, aware of that fact of like, you know, this space is really, really white and like saying that out loud to you and your peers and recognizing what that means and yeah. why that might be intimidating to people of color who enter that space. Mm -hmm. And I think that just honestly being considerate and thoughtful of that is, is more than a lot of people can say that they're doing. Um, but I think that the other half of this, and it's the slightly more confrontational half is like, there are people in gaming spaces that are sh racist shitheads, like <laughs> don't have tolerance for them. I think mm -hmm. that that's something that I wish I could have seen more of in not just, you know, the, the U of I at U of I, but in other places mm -hmm. is just like taking a harder stance. You know, if like somebody is saying something that's racist and shitty, like they're not allowed to interact in this space anymore. The, the, the yeah. best thing you can do to go and leave your space open and safe for people of color is like, if there is somebody being shitty, like, don't give them like six strike, you know, don't give them infinite chances to like mm -hmm. fix themselves. Um, and and don't Be give them that much space. Be decisive about it, because yeah. that matters a lot. And seeing that as a person of color means a lot and goes like, oh, you can you, you can kind of point somebody out in your head and say, like, yeah, that person's an ally. I can trust them with this. Um, and that's oh. that's a very rare thing to have, I would say, is like any marginalized person when you're in mm -hmm. a a community or in a place where you're one of the few. 
you know? Yeah. Yeah. I think showing that you're an ally for me as somebody who identifies as bisexual and I've, I've struggled with those things, knowing that there are people that will stand up for me was huge for me. Totally. Um, so I think that that advice really resonates. When you were um, president of the club, that was for about a year, right? Yeah. So I was president from 2015 to 2016. Was there anything that you did in particular to try and encourage diversity among the club members? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, <laughs> I, I tried some stuff. Um, I mean, a big thing for me was honestly a, a big reason for why I ran in the first place was I really wanted to see another woman leader for the club. A big reason why I joined was uh, the the president before me um, was also, you know, a woman. And mm -hmm. that was really a big signal for me uh, where I was like, oh, well, I mean, if they, you know, voted a woman for their president, how bad could this group really be? Like, yeah. you know, it, it kind of gives you the impression that this is a, a group that's more open and maybe not necessarily seeing just the president, but seeing, you know, anybody in a position of leadership in a group like that um, yeah. kind of immediately assuages some of those like worries that I had. Um, and so I meant like that, that was a big reason for me why I wanted to run in the first place on top of like wanting to help out and, and do more um, was just, I, I could see the inherent benefit of that having been on sort of the other end of like just having, you know, a marginalized yeah. person as sort of a figurehead um, that's making decisions for the club is, is going to signal to people um, that, you know, this, this could be safer, or at the very least, the person in charge is able to empathize with me in a way that, you know, somebody else might not be able to, if something is happening to me, yeah. you know? So on top of like other things that we did, um, one thing that was really important, especially because I think like, at U of I, you know, it's, it isn't super racially diverse. Um, the first thing that came kind of to mind for me was like, well, one, we have to make sure that like there, there are more women in the club. Like mm -hmm. that's something that we have to do. We have to make this a very safe place for people who uh, identify as queer in any way. Mm -hmm. um, and we have to make sure that obviously this is still a safe place for, for people of color. Um, but specifically recruiting like wise, it was going to be easiest to kind of go like, you know, how do we get more girls into the club? Yeah. I think me and like maybe one or two other women were like the only ones to join like my sophomore year when I got to the club. And yeah. I was like, that's not we need we need more, you know, yeah. we need more, more people in the club in general. Um, and so one thing that I did um, me and some other, you know, older women members of the club kind of had this idea of like, what if we do like a slumber party at like the beginning of the year? <laughs> and it's like the girls only slumber party. Um, oh, and I basically at like one of the Saturday game nights, it was like, all right. And we didn't hide it from the dudes. I was like, listen, you guys can have your own slumber party if you want. I'm not going to stop you. But this is the girls only slumber party. Come on by. <laughs> um, and it was a really good time because one thing that I really wanted to do for the club was to kind of set up like the bonds of sisterhood. Like yeah. I was like, see one another, not as competition, trying to like really foster like a sense of, of strong community within the women that were in the club. So it was a really successful thing. I think we had it at like me and Lauren's house. Um, and we, we had, you know, like older women members of the club that were there um, as well as other people who identified um, as non-binary or um, otherwise queer in terms of like gender representation and it was really successful and it was just a really good bonding exercise. And I kind of like made it clear. I had like a little moment where I was like, listen, if anything ever happens to like any of you, like 
that makes you uncomfortable. If a dude is being super creepy with you, if anybody's being super creepy with you, like, I want you to know that, like, we are here and, like, we, I, I'm going to go and do whatever I can to, like, make sure that you guys are safe. Um, and if oh, that was that. possible, if we could have had, like, a mixer for, you know, like, the, the people of color of the metagamers, like, that would have been cool, too. And I probably would have done something similar of, like, I want to make it super clear to all of you that, like, I am your advocate. I will do whatever I need to do to make sure that, like, you guys feel comfortable here. So that, that's awesome. That went well. <laughs> um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, I think all things considered, I, I kind of regret that I only had like one year because I, I like feel like I planted the seeds and so didn't really get to see them come to fruition because I was yeah. like a senior and I was super busy and, and couldn't really see how it was going to end up. But I think yeah. it was pretty good in my super biased opinion. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think I think it's really important that you were communicating about it so explicitly. Totally. Um, when, it, at least from my perception, um, when we don't talk about diversity is when it gets passed over, it's when it gets ignored, and when people don't recognize how important it is. Totally. And just bringing it up. <laughs> yeah, just say it out. Just say it out <laughs> say loud. Say it out loud. And, yeah. and also making it really clear, like, I will support you. Um, that's so powerful. Mm. I think you did good. Oh, I wasn't thanks. there, but I think you did good. Thanks, Clara. <laughs> I would have loved if you came to our sleepover. You would have definitely been Aww. one of the, the A, A-list uh, guests at our, our metagamer slumber party. <laughs> oh, my God. I'm honored. I am honored. <laughs> Okay, it's time for a quick pause to the conversation. When we come back, we'll get to hear Jasmine talk about raising the next generation of gamers. Stay tuned. Okay, y'all, if you made it this far, I need to let you in on a secret. We are having a replay merch giveaway literally right now as you hear this. If you want a chance to win a replay shirt and a sticker, all you have to do is head over to the Victor Media Group Instagram account. That's Victor Media GRP on Instagram and follow the directions on the replay giveaway post. I'll announce the winner on my next episode, which is the season finale coming out on June 1st. So again, go look up Victor Media GRP on Instagram for your chance at some free merch. Good luck. And we're back on replay talking with Jasmine Betts about her experiences as a woman of color within gaming communities. So, okay. So you, you planted the seeds. You said you feel like you plant the seeds, um, which reminds me of another conversation that we've had about teaching kind of the next generation of gamers yeah, and trying to impart certain values as we're raising up like the next generation of D and D players or magic players or board gamers or whatever the case may be. Um, mm-hmm. And I know you have some experience with that. Can oh, you tell yes. me some stories about raising baby gamers? <laughs> oh, yeah. Corrupting the youth, as it were. Um, I I think that this is something that was really important to me um, just because of how I got really introduced to, to D&D. Um, mm-hmm. My parents both played, played D&D, but by the time I was like really coming of age and, and getting involved, I actually didn't live with my parents. I lived with my grandparents and they lived pretty far. Mm-hmm. Um, and so... My D&D club was started by like one of my high school's physics teachers and uh, his sort of mission, he even said it to us was like, you know, this was before 5E had come out and really like rocket shit like D&D like back onto the map. It was sort of like those those years in between um, and, and tabletop was not in a really good spot, I would say. Mm-hmm. Um, I wouldn't say it was dying, but it was definitely not growing uh, by any means. Yeah. Um, and so my my teacher had made a point to be like, I'm teaching you this so that like 
I may see this hobby continue into the future. Um, he bought us a lot of materials out of his own pocket. Um, oh, and and so cool. D&D, like he would DM for like 14 kids and we'd all be like sitting. It took forever to do anything. Uh, but it was it was just such a, a, a cool thing that I really wanted the opportunity to kind of do that um, later on. And and um, I worked at the library uh, in college to like just really set home how much of a nerd I was um, <laughs> and am. Um, but in this library group, turns out there's lots of other people who love D&D who work at the library. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of my coworkers is, was getting her um, master's in library science. And she worked at also the library over at Uni High over mm-hmm. in, in, at U of I. Um, and she was like, hey, I want to do this workshop that's like teaching, you know, some of these kids who, you know, are between, I would say like 12 and 18, because I think they had like a, a middle school program there too. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to teach them how to play D&D and we can do like a little one shot. And I was like, fuck yeah, I'm on board. I want to corrupt <laughs> the use and, and, and teach other kids the new, the new hobby. Um, and so we did like, you know, stuff on what is the game, um, etiquette on, you know, how to play properly, how to be considerate of like your, your, your fellow players, the GM, um, things to consider when you're building a party, you don't want, you know, four rogues, because that's so hot, (laughs) things like that, um, of just kind of like teaching, not just like what the games are, but really kind of like a, the the crash course of like, these are the things you need to know to really understand, like, you know, Mm -hmm. RPGs, also introducing kids to like the idea of, you know, everybody's heard of Dungeons and Dragons, but it's not the only thing out there. Maybe it's not the best system for the kind of story that you want to run or play. And that should be something that you consider, you know, like maybe you're a more like story driven person. Um, D&D is amazing at a lot of things. And especially 5e has like expanded, you know, role playing in the system a lot. Um, But especially like, there's just other stuff out there that you should try and and figure out exactly what your style is because I think you know some people might be turned off by D and D the first time they play it but that doesn't necessarily mean that you're gonna hate all you know RPGs. Yeah. Um, but anyway, that was a huge um, digression. <laughs> um, basically, it was uh, we had four groups that split off to do this one shot. Um, for all of the different groups of kids that we had taught. And it was probably, I would say, we, we had a lot of different kids. It was probably like 30, 35 kids that had shown up. Oh, um, wow. And uh, my my coworker had split them off into kind of like different groups. Um, and I looked at the group that she assigned to me and I was, I, I, I still regret it now. I like looked at this group and she was like, you got the group of like young white boys. And I was like, okay, that's nice. You know, I was like, <laughs> There were they, there were other groups, especially we kind of I think her logic was, you know, let's keep the girls kind of together so that their first, you know, experience is like with other women. They can kind mm. of set that standard for themselves. Um, and so that was that was good. Um, but I was like still disappointed. And I felt so dumb after I met these <laughs> wonderful, wonderful boys. There was there. They were just so energetic. Um, one of them in particular, like he went on to go to college for theater and he just got super oh. into it. And he was playing like a barbarian dwarf that was just like running in. There was a, a, a gnome wizard and his name was Emong because that's gnome backwards. Oh my That gosh. was great. And there was like <laughs> one kid who, in particular and he um, had been playing D&D already and was just really excited for an excuse to like get other people to play and like introduce Aww. people to the game. And they were the most wonderful group of like 
boys in the world. I, I love GMing for them. It's still one of my favorite experiences. And it was just like a little one shot in like a library, a super loud library full of laughter. Oh my goodness. And I'm sure it was just the so other pure. patrons were so happy with you guys. I mean, it was a, it was a high school library, thankfully, oh, and there was nothing okay. else happening, but <laughs> it was still really cool. And I think that for me, that that was a, a really, you know, impactful experience for me. Cause like, I totally judged these boys. Like how, how am I better? You know, like they were so wonderful and they have every right to be here too. And I really tried to frame it in my mind of, you know, I, I was the, the first DM a lot of them had ever had. And so like, as you know, a, a, a woman of color, um, I hope that I helped set the standard for them of like, why aren't there other people that kind of look like Jasmine at this group and start being more critical about, you know, why don't we see the representation there? So it's like in that way, I think that there's still a place for that. Like I, I am really glad that I got to specifically DM that group because I got to set that standard or I hope I set that standard for them. And, and I hope that they're more critical about the groups they're in because, you know, they're probably going to end up in lots of groups full of other, you know, like white dudes and they get to be like the, hopefully a champion or a voice there that's going to speak some reason. And I, I hope that that's what that did. That's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. I, I, I always love stories about raising up the next generation. Of oh, it's so nice. I love <laughs> meeting like baby gamers is like such an empowering experience. Like oh, every time you go to a convention and you're just like, got to protect the flock. We're very protective. (laughs) Give them their own dice. We need to make sure that they have all the tools that they need to succeed. And we will hold their hands when their first character dies. Like, (laughs) oh, it's so sad every time. (laughs) It really is. Oh, man. And that is why I play other things besides D&D, because I don't like my characters dying. Same. Um, are there other types of so so you like you mentioned other types of RPGs that exist out there? Are there yeah. other kinds of RPGs that you feel like are more like welcoming to you as a woman of color? Wow, like, that's the a really settings good or <laughs> yeah, I know it's a random question. It's big. Oh, but... totally. I mean, <laughs> I think that that's what's so interesting about you know RPGs in general is or you know tabletop RPGs is it feels endless there's like literally no color slider that's holding you back from making whatever you want like you can literally make whatever the fuck you want and I feel like that's something that is is taken for granted almost to to a certain extent I don't ever feel like sometimes I feel like role players and and even myself as like somebody who mainly GMs, I don't take advantage of like how fucking off the wall and weird you can make stuff and you should be making weird stuff. Like that's (laughs) what the outlet is used for. And so I think that in particular systems that I really enjoy, I don't know if they necessarily help me more as like a woman of color, but I really enjoyed our edge of the empire uh, campaign. Mm -hmm. And I felt like that was really cool. Cause I mean like, yeah, being in star Wars, you can be, anything i like i didn't even play a human i i played like vex and she was a zeltron so like i remember pink as fuck she was pink as fuck and she had (laughs) blue hair and i think i made her like six feet tall she was like an amazon she was like my favorite thing in the universe and she wasn't even human she was just super pink and like way more feminine than i am in real life (laughs) so (laughs) she was just like she in my mind i kind of picture her like similar to another character i had in the larp where they're just kind of they're like more like drag personas than like oh real people. Like they're so <laughs> exaggerated in what they are that they're like, mm-hmm. they're like not even real. But I feel like that, that was super freeing for me was like not mm-hmm. even having to think about that. Um, 
because in like vampire it's like you're you're all still vampires like you all were human event like at some point and i still love the vampire system but like when you have the ability to play something that's not even human like that totally you're you're on a different like level now of like what yeah. you're considering because in star wars people are like more speciesist than they are racist like that doesn't yeah really hold up that doesn't really hold that's up in star true. wars at all so and same goes for like i mean D D is obviously moving away from a lot of like racial stereotypes and and kudos as a reminder all of my opinions are my own and not those of hasbro or wizards <laughs> of the coast just going to throw that out there Thanks for the disclaimer <laughs> disclaimer um but D is i think doing a really good job of moving away from you know the racial stereotypes that were originally um kind of put on on orcs and the drow in particular are ones that stick out in my mind yeah. that were pretty problematic um but I think that, you know, those aside, like D&D is still a really great place to explore that. You could be a bird person. You could be yeah. a, literally anything. And so I think that that's, demon. <laughs> you could be a demon person. You could be a dragon. That was my first character in 5e was a, a dragonborn monk, Aww. which was super fun. So Aww, I love that. Yeah, I think that in terms of now that I'm like, I've talked my way around it and figured it out, I guess as like a, a woman of color, it's really helpful to not have to think more about like the the race of my character at all you know yeah i think as a woman i mean you you i i don't know that i feel like being in a game it feels more comfortable honestly because mm -hmm. most dms are like the non-shitty ones are like hey we're just going to take the sexism out of this one you know like yeah. you just don't <laughs> have to deal with it um but i feel like as a person of color in particular just having the option to just play whatever i want is very liberating yeah yeah and I want to I want to signal boost what you said about um, the D&D &D moving away from those racist stereotypes or the racial and racist stereotypes, yes. um, because I actually I have tried to talk to people about this and a lot of people don't still don't know that Wizards of the Coast is doing that. So yeah. um, can you just kind of explain what's common knowledge that you can talk about um, yeah totally about, like, what D&D &D is doing yeah so um thinking about the stuff that we have already put out in the world um <laughs> so there's especially around messaging especially over you know the summer of um protests that happened over the death of George mm. Floyd and police brutality um, a lot of people started thinking about this in a more active way and I'm very proud of wizards because I feel like that conversation hasn't really died down at all mm -hmm. um and kind of part of that and over the summer I would say August this was like way before I was working there um mm -hmm. they they kind of put out some some messaging around you know like we recognize that there are are harmful stereotypes in the way that we have characterized certain groups historically um and we're going to try to move away from that by you know rebuilding kind of the system that we have in place um for for you know racial traits and they're mm -hmm. they're really trying to differentiate between like the things that you're born with and the things that are imparted to you from your culture which is really cool of like before yeah. if you played an orc like you inherently knew orcish regardless if you actually ever spent any time with orcs you know like you yeah. could have been an orc raised by elves why wouldn't you know elf elvish instead right. i think any dm including myself would just be like just write down elvish you know like yeah <laughs> most people were doing this anyway um if they were in the know um and i think that it's really cool for for you know, wizards to kind of say that in a more official capacity of like, we're actually going to build it into the way we have the game built right now to not do that. We're going to decouple those things entirely and recognize that those things are different, which is yeah. super dope. Uh, big <laughs> fan of that. Um, and I think that in general, that's, that's 
really going to set a different tone for gamers. And I think that that's going to be a, a big sign kind of to the community at large, especially with Wizards being kind of the the, the figure that it is in like the, the tabletop RPG community. Um, a lot of people might start taking those sorts of notes and realizing that, you know, that that is a problem. So yeah. you're totally right. It was a problem <laughs> and we're hoping to fix it. <laughs> Yeah. And I think it's big that they're taking responsibility and actually doing something about it. I know a lot of the debate is over, is it too little too late? Is it, um, and there, there are people who think that it wasn't a problem in the first place and why are we fixing it? And so there is a lot of conversation about it. (laughs) I know. I know. I'm like sitting here, like, did you miss that orcs are just thinly veiled, like black stereotypes? Okay. All right. I'm going to, I'm going to have fun. I know that basically this entire episode has been you letting me sit on my soapbox, but this is a soapbox that I've been like holding inside for a while. Do it. Let's hear it. And so I'm a super Tolkien fan, right? Mm-hmm. I, I love Tolkien. I have Galadriel in, as a half sleeve on my arm. I like, Beautiful. <laughs> I love Tolkien so much. I also recognize that a lot of the things that he put in his work are very problematic and mm-hmm. they've been reproduced sort of everywhere you know like there are lots of really problematic racial stereotypes in his work even though I love it so much but it's important to recognize that like orcs are really thinly veiled in what they are and like Mm -hmm. for some reason all of the tribes of men that were corrupted by Sauron happen to live to the south and east of like your fake Europe that's not good they're all brown people for some reason you know um like Dwarves are like a very, very thin allusion to Jewish people, which is like very problematic. Mm -hmm. And I think that it's important to say that out loud because he has set the bar for high fantasy in a really big way. Um, And that's been reproduced in everything from World of Warcraft to, you know, D&D. And so we have to be aware of the fact that, you know, these stereotypes, even though the people who added them to their game probably didn't mean to, because a lot of people weren't thinking about, you know, his work in these terms, but it's there. It's like so clearly there. And we have to be willing to, to challenge that in a really real way. I am calling out my favorite writer stand. Like I <laughs> totally, totally recognize that. But I think it's really important yeah. to be able to look at the work that you enjoy critically and see what's mm-hmm. wrong with it. And if you can, in the case of like, we can't go back in time and rewrite Lord of the Rings, but we can do what we can to like make the games we're playing right now better. Yeah. So. Well, yeah, and that's, that's how I feel about, I mean, pretty much any piece of media you can think of that you've enjoyed is going to be problematic in some way. Totally. Does that mean we can't enjoy it? No, but it does mean we need to be a little more conscious and conscientious about how we talk about it, how we think about it, how we're sharing it with other people, totally. <laughs> how we're reproducing totally. it. Yeah. So I, I love that you said that. Um, and I think that, uh, more people need to be more aware that those kind of inherent stereotypes have been sort of ingrained in the games that we're playing without us even realizing it and not necessarily out of the ill will of the designers. Yeah, totally. I don't think like any designer out there or, or, game producer is like can't wait to fill my games with really problematic stuff like nobody's out there like rubbing (laughs) their hands together nobody's doing that it's very unconscious and I think that's why especially now that we're having these conversations and being a little bit more conscientious and taking a harder look at you know the 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 media we consume and create I feel like that's why people are now retroactively you know doing something about it and and want to do something about it because we're we're just taking the time to think about it a little yeah. bit more. So as we um, bring things to a close, 
do you have any final thoughts or any final advice or messages that you want to share with our listeners today? I don't know. I, I, I just talked a lot. <laughs> there's, there's a lot of stuff that you could take away, but I don't know. Just like, I think that right now we're, I, I, everyone is so tired of listening to like the, we're in unprecedented strange times. And it's like, yeah, dude, it fucking sucks out there right now. Like <laughs> yeah. just came out of a horrible presidency and we're, we're in a pandemic, but like, I don't know. I think it's really heartening for me to hear, especially as somebody who reads a lot of feedback from, you know, wizards, uh, fans and, and, and employees is it just yeah. like how much, D&D in particular, I guess, has helped people kind of cope with the pandemic. And I think that, like, in general, that's not centralized to D&D. I feel like video games and, mm -hmm. like, tabletop RPGs in general have helped a lot of people get through the hard times. And it's kind of cool to, to see it still work, even when it's really, really intense, bad hard times, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I think that in general, like, I don't know, be nice to each other, play lots of games. Be open to being weird. Uh, and uh, I don't know, pet your cats. Give them a good <laughs> hug. <laughs> I love that. I think I think for me, the main thing that I really, I feel like I'm going to take away from this is the way that you said to just communicate your support for totally. people um, in these spaces. So as we're doing our damn best to yeah. make these spaces more diverse and welcoming to a diverse set of people, um, just being willing to be explicit and vocal about totally. it makes such a big difference. And that's such a simple thing that anyone can do. Yeah. Okay. And that I have a, I have a new final point. Cause All you, right, what is you it? inspired me. And that's <laughs> that, you know, I think a lot of conversations and a lot of, of um, conversations that we should be having in kind of these spaces are the best when you're being explicit, you're being a genuine and you're being open to, you know, whatever response that you get or yeah. on, on either side of that conversation. I think that at least for me, I really struggled to, to be confrontational, but it's like at a certain point, it's not being confrontational. You're just being honest. Yeah. There is that difference between being confrontational and being honest. And it's like, if it's something that's hard to say, it's probably because it's really important. Um, and we need to be willing yeah. to say things out loud to each other, to support each other, to make sure that people that are, are bigoted or, are otherwise prejudiced realize that like this is not a safe place for you this is not for you and just yeah. being willing to say those things out loud in the nicest way that you can you know uh is just just be honest make this the best community you can make it and you can do that by you know being honest about your feelings oh there you go i can end on an even gayer note clara yes I you think we i couldn't have. top that you Even said gayer. it was peak gay earlier, and wow. now we are new the peak. peakest of peak gay. Peak. We have hit a new fucking mountain range. That is what we have done. Very good. Good, good job, us. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming on my show today, Jasmine. Of I really appreciate your perspective and your voice, and um, thanks. Thanks for listening. I'll be back again soon with another episode. You can find episodes of Replay and all other Victor Media Group podcasts at victormediagroup.co. Replay is a VMG original and is created, hosted, and produced by Clara Mount. The show is executive produced by J.B. Adams and Gerard Mitchell with sound design by Aaron Trinka and original music by Bison. It's the mission of Victor Media Group to make the world a better place by making ourselves better people. 
If you like this show, follow Victor Media Group on your favorite media channels and check out Bison's other tunes on Spotify, Bandcamp, and SoundCloud. Extra special thanks to all my listeners for hanging out with us today. Keep on playing and remember, you're always welcome at this game table. <laughs>